0: The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Hey, good morning, Two Pillars Church, and and welcome to all the friends and family that are joining us. My name is Craig Ruskamp and I'm a non-staff elder here at Two Pillars Church. And again, what a blessing it has been this morning to to have the children uh, share, just sing with us this morning. And, and even though Andrew tried to, to steal this from me, I do actually want to take a minute to, to thank some people who are important and vital in making that happen this morning. So if, for, first, of course, Mandy Swanson for orchestrating all of this. Um, we all know that Mandy picks the songs. She schedules the practices. Um, she really shares her passion for singing with the children also want to thank Donna Strait and Christina Estrada who helped with the kids' practices. And also Anthony Estrada and Shani Sorensen for helping with the sound and musical arrangement. Um, these folks do deserve another round of applause this morning. I <laughs> also don't want to forget to say thank you to the parents uh, for sharing your children with us this morning, getting them ready to go. Um, you made it, so like it's time to take a deep breath. Relax. Surely your kids aren't downstairs right now riding on their Christmas outfit with, with marker. So, so. <clears throat> hey, this morning, we're in week three of our Advent series, and, and if you haven't noticed yet, yeah, we're focusing on joy. And the reason we're focusing on joy is because as a church, we've had six values or cultural distinctives, and we're adding a seventh one to that. Namely, we fight for joy... We seek to rejoice in suffering, life, and worship. Now this comes from a desire to make fighting for joy a key piece of our culture here at Two Pillars Church. And if you're interested in hearing more of the story behind that, I would encourage you to go listen uh, to the sermon from week one of our Advent series, where Pastor Todd covers that. But today, I want us to use the book of Acts chapter 5 verses 40 to 42, to help us consider fighting for joy. And more specifically, this morning, I want us to see that Christ is the source of our joy. And to help us see that Christ is the source of our joy, we are going to look at three themes from these verses. We're going to look at rejoicing in his name, rejoicing in persecution, and finally, rejoicing in in the midst of community. Now, before we do that, let's just take a minute to give ourselves some context for this morning's passage. Jesus' earthly mission has been completed. He has ascended into heaven, and his apostles have received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And through the Spirit's power, they have been teaching that God's plan of salvation is, has been completed through Jesus. As they have preached, they have been calling new believers to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They're gathering to break bread and pray and share all they have with those who have needs. They're healing the sick and lame. They're also being persecuted, arrested, questioned, and charged not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus and just before verses 40 to 42, the apostles have been arrested and put in jail by the high priest and the Sadducees, the, the religious leaders of their time. And this religious council has met to decide the fate of the apostles. They're actually enraged to the point that they want to kill the apostles. And what is it that has enraged them so much? What's well, actually mentioned In each of the three verses here in chapter 5, let's look there. In the second half of verse 40, we read that the apostles were charged not to speak in the name of Jesus. In verse 41, we read that the apostles were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And at the end of verse 42 we read that they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. In the name of Jesus, for the name, that Jesus is the Christ. This is what has enraged the religious leaders. And really, what does it mean to speak in the name of Jesus? Well, the ESV Study Bible says this about the phrase, His name. His name in the full biblical sense of name means everything, everything that is true about the person, and therefore, in a sense, the person himself. So if we use that definition, we can begin to understand that the apostles were telling about all that is true of Jesus, his very public ministry of teaching and healing that the apostles were witnesses to, his persecution and death at the hands of these same religious leaders, his resurrection, the defeat of sin and death, and his ascension into heaven. Speaking in the name of Jesus is speaking his plan of salvation. This is why the apostles have been arrested, beaten, and threatened with death. Now, Peter and the apostles are very clear that they are not going to stop teaching in Jesus' name. And they're also very clear about who is responsible for Jesus' death. If we go back just a few verses in chapter 5, starting in verse 28, we read a a question uh, asked by the high priest, and then the apostle's response. So starting near verse 28, and the high priest questioned them saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. There it is again, in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Look, a line is being drawn. A distinction is being made. A foundation is being built. No longer are the believers in Christ trying to attain salvation through the old way, through works of the law and following the old tradition. They're casting that aside and saying there is a new and better way through Jesus. And actually, not even just a better way. The only way to salvation is through Christ. And so the apostles and with them the thousands of new believers being baptized in the early days of the church are taking a stand. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are following the example Jesus gave during his earthly ministry. What is fresh in the apostles' minds is that these are the same people that had Jesus crucified. Jesus chose obedience to his heavenly Father over obedience to man. And now here the apostles are making the same decision. They're drawing the same distinction. And yet again, this religious council is using the earthly power they have to try and force them to change their minds. And in all of this, where the apostles are staying rooted is in the fact that their hope, their salvation, their joy is in Christ. They clearly see God's mercy shown at the cross. They have a God focused perspective, and they are fixing their eyes on Him. They cannot be shaken. Now we we cannot move past this too quickly this morning. Because the foundation here for the apostles, for the early church, for us, is Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his eternal reign over heaven and earth, his promised return. This is what we rejoice in. In Jesus' name, still represents all the work that he has done in the plan of salvation for us today. But just like the apostles' experience here, this will not be easy. As we seek to live in obedience to God rather than men, we are going to suffer dishonor for his name. Persecution... And along with it, suffering is a theme throughout the book of Acts. This is not the first time the apostles have been arrested for teaching in Christ's name. And it will not be the last. This will not be the last time the apostles suffer physical pain for Jesus. Excuse me, for their beliefs. This is not the last time they will be persecuted because of their hope in Christ. This is not the last time they will rejoice in his name. The early church was plunged immediately into persecution. After Jesus' death, the apostles hid together. But when they received the Holy Spirit and began speaking publicly, they were persecuted. They live a life marked by persecution and suffering for Jesus' name. And yet, they rejoice in being counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. In the face of persecution, with death breathing down their necks, the disciples rejoice. They respond to persecution with joy, and not selfish glory for themselves, but rather that they are counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. I want us to look at two other verses in Scripture that point us to responding in joy in the midst of persecution. Uh, First from the book of James chapter 1, verse 2. We read, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, the word count is often translated as consider. So we could read this as, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The apostles have considered and are choosing to rejoice To express their joy because of having suffered for Jesus' name. We could also look at Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. The same hope that the apostles had. The hope that salvation is through Christ and he has promised to return. Within The last year I was asked if I had ever experienced persecution for my faith, for for being a Christian and an elder at my church. And my answer was no, because in the context of of this verse, I've not been arrested for my faith or beaten or had the threat of death hanging over my head. So when I was asked this question, it was really just a mental exercise for me the apostles didn't have to ask themselves that question. They lived it in real life. And when they considered how to respond, they chose joy. Maybe you have suffered persecution for your faith. Or maybe similar to me, you haven't. Either way, have we considered joy? In times of suffering or persecution, is joy even an option? I know we can get mad, or sad, frustrated, depressed, lethargic, apathetic, the list goes on, but this is why the new two pillars culture of value isn't be joyful. We have to fight for joy, and one way we can do that is by asking if rejoicing is even an option in our lives. Have we considered joy in our trials? R.C. Sproul, in his book, Can I Have Joy, says this about suffering and joy. The temporal moments of anguish and suffering that we go through are as nothing, as nothing compared with the joy that has been laid up for us in heaven. However, heaven is still future and the present is often hard. I'm not sure we need to hear it from R.C. Sproul to know or be convinced that the present is hard. But he does remind us of the joy that awaits, that there is a purpose and a hope to our suffering. Ultimately, our persecution and suffering will not end until Christ returns. We are called to endure until his return, and what a joy it will be to see Jesus returning. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So now the question becomes, what do we do until his return? How do we live? How do we survive? How do we keep our joy in Christ until he returns? There is one more theme I want us to see in this passage The apostles are doing this, doing all of this together. If we look again at verses 40 to 42, we can see that. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That's, by my count, six plural pronouns in just three verses. And and what we see here is actually consistent um, with the entire book of the Acts of the Apostles, right? And for me, this this may be a little bit extra-biblical, but... When I read those verses, I can picture the apostles standing together as they are charged. Seeing each other's faces as they are beaten. Looking into each other's eyes to see the pain. Leaving the council, a hand on each other's shoulders. Cleaning each other's wounds. Right? And that may be hard to picture, but... But do we really think they just left the council and all went home to their houses? Like, see you tomorrow. (laughs) No. They gathered. They shared. They rejoiced together. And it's not just the apostles. All the new believers of the early church are gathering together. In the preceding chapters of the book of Acts, we get a picture of what community means or looks like for the early church. If you have... Your Bible in front of you. You can flip back a few pages to um, chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 42 to 47 from there. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles." And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to read again in chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. We get the same picture painted for us. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. The apostles, the new believers, this early church, they are gathering together to hear the word of God taught. They are eating together. They are sharing everything they have, and they are meeting the needs of the people who have them. They are doing everything as a community. They experienced awe, gladness, and generous hearts together. They are rejoicing in God's favor and grace on them. This is a community that could not stop sharing the works of salvation that Christ had done for them. We, we friends, we live in a very individualistic society. So as part of fighting for joy, I just want to share some practical application to this idea of community. Um, But before I do, I want to preface that with three things. First off, these are just descriptive, not prescriptive. So take them or leave them. If it works for you, that's great. If it doesn't, that doesn't offend me. Look, I'm not coming up with newer creative ideas, right? These are all in scripture we just read. Sharing everything they had, gathering together, meeting needs. I don't have an exhaustive list here either. Just one or two ideas that fit in each of these categories. And finally, if this sounds trite to you, fighting for joy just isn't for you right now and especially four weeks of sermons on joy during advent I want you to know you're not alone I stand here ready to listen and there are other people here this morning who are also ready to join you in that So let's talk about gathering first Here at Two Pillars we have an intention we have intentionally placed an emphasis on gospel communities we call them GCs These are groups that gather weekly to be a community of believers. Our gospel communities are not simply small groups or in-home Bible studies. We set out to live life together, extend and model grace to one another, and practice the one another's of Scripture. This is regular and irregular, scheduled and not scheduled. A gospel community here is the vehicle by which we make Mature and unleash missionary disciples who live with gospel faithfulness to the glory of God. So if you're new here or you're wondering how to connect, this is your answer. Join a gospel community. The best way to do that is to fill out a connection card in the pew in front of you. And if you do that, someone will follow up with you this week. You could also just turn to the family next to you And ask them about their gospel community. Hey, a lot of us here are already in gospel communities, right? And that's a wonderful thing. Here's some questions I'd ask you to think about if you're already there Does my gospel community feel like a community? Do I go often enough to be known? Do I share my life in a way that allows me to be known? Do I listen to the people around me? and hey, like this is not me asking you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps like that's not this moment right now. like if you're having a hard time going to GC or participating, please just start by sharing that. I think you'll be surprised by the reaction you get. next, just a few ideas on sharing needs. Um, I think we're allowed to start small, so these are pretty little ones to me. Uh, The GC I'm in has a text thread, and this week, someone shared a transportation need they had for three days, and someone else drove them for three days. Pretty little, right? Here's another one. I have a neighbor who goes to Two Pillars Church, and when they're out of town, they ask me to move their Amazon packages from the front of the house to the back of the house, right? And I open them up and make sure it's not something cool I want, and then I... (laughs) No. And then I put them on the back porch, right? Look, there's, there's two things to think about that, though, in sharing needs. Like, someone is asking, right? And then someone else is, is filling that need. So, like, maybe you need to ask. Or maybe some of you need to fill needs. Or maybe you get to do both, right? Well, here's another thought from the Wednesday Conversation podcast about eating together. Um, They recently shared a paper on their podcast titled, A Table for One, by Jeremy Adams. Um, And in this article, Jeremy lays out the benefits of having mealtime together as a family. He says this in the article, Over the past two decades, the frequency of family meals has declined by 33%. Children who do not dine with their parents at least twice a week are more likely to be overweight, less likely to eat vegetables, and more likely to be truant at school. Jeremy also shares uh, some work from Anne Fischel in that article. She says, in most industrialized countries, that's us, we're industrialized, families don't farm together, play musical instruments, or stitch quilts on their front porch. So dinner is the most reliable way for families to connect and find out what's going on with each other. Now, here's the thing that I mentioned earlier. We already know that eating together is good, right? These researchers are just giving us current research and facts that back the truth of the Bible. And look, eating together is hard. It takes some work. But the thing that stood out to me most in reading these articles was this, if you aren't eating together, you're eating in isolation. me say that again, for not together, we're in isolation. And here's what research has to say about isolation. This is from, from the Barna group, folks in the Gen Z generation, spend an average of seven hours a day on their phone, and 79% of this same generation say they're lonely. Right? And I'm pretty sure it's not just Gen Z, right? Like the rest of us, whatever categories we're in, we're not just knocking this out of the park. We're also feeling lonely. Friends, we all desire connection. If you look to your left... And to your right this morning, those are people that desire connection. Someone sitting behind you or in front of you feels isolated. We all desire simple places of connection. Places where we can have long, unhurried conversations. Places where we can be physically present with each other. Let me end us here this morning. Culture around us feeds us their version of joy, right? Books, media, podcasts, it's on our phone, especially on TV commercials this time of year, right? Like, honey, please don't buy me a car without asking. That's not going to bring me untold joy, (laughs) right? And, And don't misunderstand me here, right? Like, I enjoy reading a good book. I enjoy listening to my favorite podcast. I love eating delicious Christmas sausage. I love giving and receiving gifts and getting a Christmas bonus just as much as the next person does. But these can't be our source of joy. During the Advent season, we remember that God has, through Christ, given us a gift, an eternal unending, unbreakable gift. Let us rejoice. We get to decide how we are going to embody this gift as a church, as a community that is living in obedience to God. And I stand here ready to fight for joy and suffering in life and in worship with all of you. Let us rejoice. In his name together, today and every day. Let's pray. Father, your words um, from the book of Acts this morning are a precious reminder to who you are. Your plan of salvation for us has been completed, Lord. We can partake in that. We can be your sons and daughters through Christ. Lord, it's not going to be easy. We all know this. There are hard times. There are times of rejoicing. Lord, I pray this morning that we begin to have our eyes open to how you have called us to do that together. Lord, that we can do that with our brothers and sisters in Christ here with us this morning. We can do that with our friends and family have joined us here this morning also, Lord. We can do that with people who aren't even here. People who haven't even heard your name, Lord, can be a part of that community. Uh, just help us see that, Lord. Help us see um, your work and how you have called us to share that um, yeah, outside of these doors, Lord. And I pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.